0: Hey, Bob WP here, and welcome to Do the Woo, a WooCommerce Builder podcast. Oh! Woo! Woo! The show is brought to you by PeachPay with their Streamlined Express Checkout and Yoast SEO, where you can unlock some fantastic tools and features for the SEO of your client's Woo shop. I'll tell you more about our pod friends later in the show, but let's head in today's Woo Dev Chat as Carl, Till, and Zach are joined by Adam Silverstein. Adam is both a developer advocate for Google, but even more importantly, he is on the performance team for WordPress Core. They talk about that and how it ties into the performance for large plugins like WooCommerce. Of course, developers being developers, They wander in and out of all sorts of performance insights, both with WordPress and WooCommerce.
1: Welcome to another Do The Woo Dev Chat. I'm Zach Stepik, and I have with me Carl and Till. How are you two doing? Pretty good, man. Doing great. So today we have a guest from the WordPress core performance team, Adam Silverstein. And uh, Adam, we brought you in because we want to talk to you about, well, this topic we keep coming back to on these dev chats, uh, performance, and you're really heavily involved in performance in WordPress core. And we wanted to kind of talk to you about that and how it ties into performance for large plugins like WooCommerce.
2: Great. Excited to be here.
1: So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we really get into the meat here?
2: Sure. Uh, just a brief history of, I guess, of my developer journey. Uh, long time building websites in HTML and CSS, and then found WordPress at some point. Uh, really started contributing about 10 years ago, 3.6. I helped build the revisions rewrite. That was my first like involvement in WordPress core. Uh, and then I've been p- pretty much involved in every release since then and wound up uh, switching over to working at an agency, 10up, for about six years uh, before joining Google, uh, the developer relations team, um, working with some other WordPress core people, trying to kind of move the web forward, uh, improve the web as a whole at scale, uh, which WordPress is a big part of that. So uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell, I guess.
1: Now, there was a, there was a project at 10Up that led to a few people going over to Google. What was that project that uh, kind of started that whole migration.
2: You know, that actually happened at the same time, but those were not, not related. Um, so the project is site kit. It's a plugin from Google that, um, connects your WordPress site to Google services. Um, so like analytics and search console and AdSense data, like all brought right into the WordPress dashboard. And that was a 10 up project that, um, they're still working on for, for Google, um, or with Google, I guess, um, And, uh, but actually, there were like right around the same time that Google came out with that plugin, there were a number of core committers uh, and contributors that that were hired about like five people, I think, all at once that were hired. It was kind of like a momentous moment to me in the WordPress community. Like, I remember going to WordCamp in, I forget where it was, St. Louis, or no, it was even before that, Nashville, maybe. Uh, and uh, there was a Google booth at the, at the uh, you know, in the vendor area, and I was like, "Wow, what is Google doing here at, at uh, WordCamp?" You know, to me that seemed like like a great uh, thing to be happening, and I was very excited about it. That was before all this happened, but right around that time, you saw some people from the WordPress community get hired by um, Developer Relations team at Google, and also they released this first party plugin. You know, they've made other efforts in the past to have plugins for WordPress, but this was really like the first time they they did something really, I think, really seriously and successfully. Like, it's a very successful plugin. It has over 2 million installs now and um, five-star rating on the support forum, which is not an easy thing to do.
1: Right, and there were some folks from XWP that joined at about the same time as well.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: So, yeah, it was a big big thing at the time. Uh, All the people that were leaving and joining Google and how Google was – Know, seeming to start to take WordPress very seriously. Yeah. And why
3: is that? And why you know, why is Google taking WordPress seriously? And what are they getting out of it? Yeah. I'm a little bit suspicious.
2: And people were asking that question at the time, right? I remember the question at the at State of the Word was like, when is Google going to buy WordPress? <laughs> so it's like, is that even possible? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so... The way I like to think of it, and, I, and I'm, I'm speaking here from like my own personal perspective, not as a, not I'm not speaking for Google, I guess, um, is that Google, uh, you know, is grew up and lives on the web. Like the web is the most important thing for Google. It's what we all go use Google to search for is things on the web, um, and most content created on the web is created on, in WordPress. Um, so there's a natural synergy there where it it is in Google's interest to see WordPress be a successful product. And like, for example, in in the case of performance, um, why we'd be focused on performance. If sites are like horrible experiences for users, um, the web is not going to be a place people want to go looking for information. They're going to go to uh, apps that have a better user experience. Um, So, you know, there's, there's a need for the web to actually be like a good place to to read content. It's not only about how easy it is to create content, but like, what is the quality of that content? Um, like quality wise, but also how does it perform? Like are, are users having a good experience with it? So there's definitely a synergy there. I would say like from my from externally from WordPress, it seemed like Google was paying a lot of attention to, to WordPress, suddenly hiring five people. But internally, being a Googler, I, I have the opposite perception. I feel like Google should pay way more attention to WordPress than we do. Um, you know, there's all kinds of products at Google. And you know, I mentioned we have SiteKit, which covers like four products or maybe five products. But there's probably 20 other products that Google has that that, that have really significant usage on the web, uh, APIs, they're very, and in all of the cases, like those APIs are probably most used by WordPress sites. Um, so it would pay for Google to pay more attention to how our developers using our APIs. Um, and I, I think, you know, from the WordPress perspective, it seemed like suddenly Google was paying, was paying a lot of attention. But from my perspective, I wish we paid more attention and put more resources towards making WordPress better. So... Um, That's what I'm advocating for internally (laughs) as best I can. So a good start, but needs more. Yeah, it's a good start. I think like this year in particular, we've really refocused on on WordPress. My team is focused on CMSs in general. Um, So content management systems, when you look around the world, there are like hundreds of them, um, maybe even a thousand. Uh, And in some markets, WordPress is not a big thing. There's definitely markets where there's other CMSs that are wildly popular. And WordPress is like second or third. Um, and so when you when you kind of are a, a company at the scale of Google, like you really do have to look at all the things. WordPress is obviously the biggest. Do you have an example? Um, yeah. Um, oh, what's the... Uh, EC Cube is a, a one in Japan. Um, there's another one called Silver Stripe. Uh, That I think is in Japan that's very popular. Um, You know, WordPress is also very popular (laughs) in Japan. So I don't know if it's the top one, but it's markets like that. It'll be like a very specific market. um, And there'll be some CMS that's like kind of more native to that market. Um, I know, like, I also know, like, there are some languages like it that WordPress is not localized in. Like, I think uh, in India, like the primary language, which I'm probably going to get this wrong, is like Hindi, and we don't have a localized version. Um, So other CMSs are way more popular. Really, but it's just to say that, like that, that my team, like we're focused on a lot of different CMSs, and and um, it's it's very interesting to see like the place that WordPress fits fits in that in that ecosystem in the, in the kind of world of CMSs um, from from a perspective um, like being inside Google, it's, it's very it's very different kind of like I think working inside WordPress, it's it seems like it's the whole world. I guess that every CMS is probably like that. Um, Drupal is definitely like that. Like I, I recently attended DrupalCon and it seemed like every everything in the world must be developed with Drupal. But yeah, the language
4: thing is interesting. I do consulting for uh, Global Voices and they're in like 60 different languages and some of them, they don't, there's no font support. We have to have a custom font just to display the, the language. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely, I think... I think it's always something to strive for, but there are a lot more languages than people think of in the world. So right, even if WordPress supports a lot of them, uh, there's just, there's an insane amount. And if you consider a, like subdialects and things like that as well. So it's just, it's kind of wild. So I can definitely believe that there are regions where WordPress doesn't penetrate just for language reasons. Yeah.
1: Well, then there are other areas where like, People are language specific, so they don't want to use WordPress because it's PHP, and their shop uses .NET for everything. So they end up on a Numbroco or something like that.
2: Yeah, I'm, I, it is fascinating to like. I'm particularly interested in, in publishing. The publishing industry, it's kind of um, you know here at least in the U.S., um, everyone's kind of switched over. There's like there are still print publications, but a lot of people have moved online, or they have figured out, or they're trying to figure out how to monetize. A lot of places in the world, there's still way more in the print era and they haven't switched to online. Um, And and like WordPress could play a big role in making that a better experience or having, you know, a good approach to monetization, for example, um, which is which is a real challenge moving into the online world for publishers. Yeah. But back to the whole performance thing. That's that's what I'm here to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, I mean, our, our team, again, is like super focused on making WordPress core more performant, which there is a lot of room for improvement um, and things that core can do. Um, but, you know, a big a big realization of, of mine in the last couple of years is that it's not just core, it's like the whole ecosystem that needs to kind of evolve around performance. Um, and so certainly like WooCommerce would, would fall into this category of like, wh- what is the performance characteristic of, you know, sites that have WooCommerce running and can that be improved?
3: Do you mean that it's, plugins and themes taking performance more seriously as opposed to just here's the experience. It, exactly. Yeah. That it's is already pretty.
2: Yeah. It's not even just taking it more seriously. It's like, I, I feel like we have the opposite incentives in WordPress right now. Like as a theme develop, as a plugin developer, your incentive is to kind of add as many features as possible to your plugin to make it look better than the other plugins to compete with the other plugins that offer similar features. Um, and in general, that's that's the opposite of performance. Like adding more and more stuff is is going to generally degrade your performance. So, I think the incentives right now, like performance, is not necessarily something that we would put on a feature list for your plugin. And I hope I hope that changes to where you know plugins are touting their their performance.
4: Yeah, levels. Till definitely does that. Everything is about performance on his marketing. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's definitely my my life. Um, someone was recently bringing this up in. I don't know if this was a GitHub ticket or was the performance meeting, but someone said to have some kind of suite. Um, and, you know, when you have a plugin boilerplate where you start up with a class and some readmes and all of those things to also have some basic tests in there, you know, does the plugin load? And then the next thing is that there is some kind of automated, I think it was Blackfire, and they have some kind of sponsorship with the performance team to automatically kind of like run your plugin through how does this perform? on the load concurrent, how does it work with a persistent object cache, without an object cache, how many queries are being fired? and you can kind of keep an eye on how much extra load does this add on top of regular WordPress requests, where you only have WordPress as a baseline with, let's say, 30 queries, I think it is, to load WordPress. Oh, um, I'm not sure. Um, don't quote me on that. But then how much does the plugin add and just have interesting out-of-the-books Tests and benchmarks, of course, this would only apply to new plugins, unfortunately, if they use even this boilerplate, but I thought it was an interesting idea to, to make it a bit more approachable and kind of easier for developers, to so just de- developers to easily run a test and see how bad <laughs> their plugin performs, because that's usually the case.
2: Yeah, I think there there is a, a group trying to build a, um, this trying to build like a, a whole testing environment that you can run as part of like your, your continuous integration. So you'd run it like I every commit or every time you do a merge. Um, And the idea would be to have some sort of like standard environment that developers could use, they could add it to their workflows while they're building their plugins. And especially to be able to catch, you know, if you've done something that's really degrading the performance, it is super challenging, like you talked about, like how many queries and how quickly does the plugin load, that's one component. Um, that's really, it is important to measure that. Then there's all the like stuff that you might be doing on the front end. Like that's a whole nother thing to try to figure out how to measure that. Um, There is some like uh, the Gutenberg project has that, which is pretty cool. They do uh, like a performance analysis of the editor itself and how quickly it loads. And they test a very large post and then they test like the typing speed, like how quickly, how many milliseconds does it take to respond to your, and they do that on merges. And so it's not actually like on every, commit but at least they're able to go back if if they do see a degradation performance and figure out like which which code change actually introduced that problem so more stuff like that in the community would be great if we can build out that tooling and make it relatively straightforward for people to add it to their projects
3: and maybe even i'm just thinking out loud here how to make the ecosystem better because i guess that's what we're talking about here but if someone like WooCommerce would enforce this as a you have to pass certain tests or in like a, a, a I don't know what you call this, not an index like a five KPIs I'm gonna say if you want to be m- listed in the WooCommerce plugin repository or be associated or have like a little check mark you know like um, in I don't know when it was like early 2000 of like html f- for validated and CSS, no errors, like these little badges, but actually have this again on plugins when like this is performance tested and this is front end, back end. Like this is a good experience for all um, the users, you know, the, the end user, but also the actual site maintainers that we kind of need to push it through these channels and, and be approved. I'm doing air quotes here because otherwise like who, who who's going to do it? So much extra effort. I think in order for us to even get to that point, though, where
1: we enforce restrictions on the marketplace, the core plugin for WooCommerce itself needs to be at a point where it's performant enough to warrant that. And for most sites it is, for the vast majority, but for those who are on the top end of the marketplace, those in the top you know, 5% of stores by volume, and uh, total sales we're looking at you know some issues that continuously are run into uh, probably the largest one of which is inserting orders <laughs> and you know we've talked about this before but the the reason why inserting orders is so difficult is because there's you know this minimum of 50 pieces of post meta per order that get inserted and you can't bulk insert post-meta. You can only insert post-meta one call at a time. So you now it's add post-meta rather than add post-metas. We could consolidate it down to a single database call for the entire order if there was a way to bulk add post-meta. But instead, we're adding 50 pieces of post-meta as 50 separate queries on a site that is potentially doing 50 orders yeah, you know, just to keep the, the math simple here, 50 orders a minute now. So that's 50 orders a minute at 50 pieces of post meta. That's what, 2,500
4: post meta inserts. And you don't even have transactions, right? Right. So like you don't have database transactions either. Right. So it
3: sounds like something for Johnny Harris to tackle. I mean, I don't know if he's listening to this.
2: <laughs> Is that literally like 20, uh, 50 separate rights? Like because of that, yeah. that issue with correct. That? Wow yeah I, I I that's like news to me. Is there an open track ticket to add this that's like a ten years old?
1: Probably um I know that it's been brought up many times in the past the and and this is why they're moving to custom tables rather than just trying to get core to fix this.
2: Oh woocommerce is
1: they're going to move to a custom orders table and circumvent posts just because of this one issue that is very easily fixed in
2: core. Maybe I I, I would never use the word easy when describing changes. Well, (laughs) true, true, true. But just just because sometimes, you know, you you think something on on the face of it is easy. But then when you get into it, you realize, oh, like this is going to break this other thing. Or, um, you know, there's a lot of unintended consequences that can easily occur. In core. let me
1: rephrase it it's <laughs> it may not be easy to fix in yeah. core
3: but it should be fixed
2: it should core. be it should be prioritized um
3: if it's just an addition
2: yeah that'd be like you said johnny would be perfect for this so as soon as he gets back we'll test
3: <laughs> <laughs> but that's the biggest bottleneck
1: in in large yeah. stores is inserting these orders because when you, you know, balloon to 2500 inserts a minute yeah on a database that's not meant to have that level of traffic, your only option at that point is either throw more hardware at it if you're in traditional hosting environments or uh, to use a cloud-based, you know, serverless hosting environment where you're not worried about that.
4: I mean, as the serverless guy, like you you need the database. I mean, now like Aurora 2 is out, so that's okay. But before that, it was like you can't you couldn't actually scale the database side that fast. So even if you need like a huge write capacity on demand, like scaling a database on demand was not something that was really feasible. So you would just crater your your database or run out of like if you're with AWS, you run out of IOPS, like basically, and then your database Craters too. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So usually doing that many writes is just not a good solution. But it's always been like the WordPress way. It's like, oh, there's a problem. Just throw more hardware. Can't go wrong with more hardware.
3: <laughs> and I guess this is why the performance team now exists and Google is hiring people because you can make things more efficient. We don't have to just throw more hardware at it. Whether this is like a po- more powerful, iphone 97 with more compute that can render 12 megabytes of javascript and css um, just making things a bit i think slimmer and more efficient
1: well and the thing is we should never get to a point where a company needs to throw you know twenty four thousand dollars a month at hosting just to make woocommerce work well there, there may be some actual real world uh, reference there but i can't tell you who
4: but there's also a limit, right? You know, like the, the, you can only throw so much like, and this is something me and Till are much more like understanding of, but like WordPress doesn't really scale horizontally that well. So there's only, there's a limit to how much hard, like, as far as I know, like we haven't invented like 500 core CPUs yet. So there's only so much you can hardware, you can actually throw at it. And then, then you've, more or less reached like how far you can go, you know? And um, and that's also one of the challenges with performance that I, I think the the performance team is a bit more closer to achieving that one than like helping WordPress scale horizontally. But that's, that's also a challenge because that's another way to throw hardware the problem. And it's not even one that you can do with WordPress that well right now.
0: Hey everyone, Bob WP dropping into the show for a short break to tell you more about our two pod friends and to thank them for their amazing support. If you are looking for an express checkout for you or your client's shop, look into Peach Bay. It's customizable and makes it easy to change button colors, text, width, border radius, and a lot more on product pages, the cart page, checkout page, and the mini sidebar checkout also has an optional short code that allows you to drop it in wherever you'd like. You can even go further with customizations by adding upsells, cross-sells and related products, as well as notes, coupons, discounts and both multi-currency and multilingual options. Peachpay can also work as a supplementary checkout option or as a single payment method. And lastly, you can collect payments through Stripe PayPal, Google Pay, and Apple Pay with more payment methods coming down the road. It's all there. Just check it out at peachpay.app. It's really simple. When it comes to your WooCommerce clients or yourself, SEO is one of the strategic points in helping to increase visibility in search results. And what better way to understand those strategic skills than taking the e-commerce SEO training from Yoast? Whether it's for your clients or your own shop, you start with defining your mission statement using structured data so your products will stand out. The course is not full of fluff or unreachable expectations. It gives you actionable steps along the way. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, check out Yoast.com and search for their e-commerce SEO training. Make sure and check out both of these pod
3: friends. And now let's get back to the show. And it's also a little bit tricky. So like Adam, <clears throat> I always see him like every week in the the weekly meeting. And he, if I understand this correct, and I don't pay too close attention to the image component because <laughs> it's not my, 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 uh, my life. Um, but do we optimize images and image delivery and formats for 99% of the WordPress sites or 99.9%? Or do we optimize how WordPress works internally how PostMet has written and so on for the 0.01% of sites that are actually high traffic. I think this is always a good a trade-off and definitely so far. The performance team, all of us have just been focusing on how can we make the biggest impact to the most sites or the most end users visiting WordPress websites, whereas if someone has $24,000 a month to make WooCommerce work, too bad. Um I hope they make enough revenue to, to offset that. It sounds like it. Um, because reaching the masses and making WordPress a bit more, ex- a better experience for everyone, it usually seems to take the preference or has a higher priority. I think
4: that's probably the right strategy.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of add-on benefits like all the work that we're doing. You are exactly right. Like the and the WordPress philosophy sort of pushes us in this direction to like consider the the changes that are going to have the benefits for everyone, you know, for for the vast majority of our users. That's really what WordPress core is focused on. And so, yeah, something like enabling WebP images by default is like a no-brainer. It's like suddenly your images are 30% smaller and you don't have to do anything and everyone gets a faster website. Um I think the other changes like the small caching improvements or fixing queries that are cutting milliseconds off, you know, 10 milliseconds off, they still are are really significant for like the wide ecosystem and they help the enterprise level, you know, e-commerce sites that have all the resources, you know, and problems like that enterprise people bring up, like the fact that you don't, you can't write multiple meta fields at once. Like maybe that's not a common use case for, for small sites Um, but at the same time, like if we fix that issue, it would also benefit those smaller sites because maybe they're writing three metas at the same time, but they're still doing it. They're still just doing it on a smaller scale. Um, so I think it it like, and I always felt like that at 10 up, like we, we really pushed WordPress to the limits, you know, building these sites that could handle millions of visitors a a day. And, um, I felt like the work that, that, that like pushing WordPress to the limits, like we brought a lot of questions and problems back to core that eventually hopefully will make core better. It's not always an immediate thing, but I I do feel like both sort of tiers uh, benefit from each other. Yeah. The indexing one's a good one. Which one? The, well, it's stuck now, but the,
4: the, the adding indexes to the table, right. There's like a performance, like, I feel like that's a, that's a good candidate for what you were talking about because it's, it's good for ninety nine percent of people, and it's especially good for that point 0.1%. Um, and it, so I'm hoping to see it un, unstuck.
3: Um, it's fascinating that one.
4: Like that, that's a good example of that. That's a that's a good example of the tickets you were talking about, where you can actually target things that affect both both sides.
3: Carlos talking about if any, yeah, probably nobody's involved that deeply in this. There's a guy called Ollie Jones, I think. I think that's his name. And he's made a plugin called Super Long Slug WordPress Performance Index Adder or something like that. And you can add indices or indexes to your MySQL tables to make the lookups of like, hey, give me the post meta for this post much faster. The trade-off is you have to use a bit more RAM to hold these indices in memory, but you can retrieve data a lot faster, which saves electricity. It's good for the planet good for impatient people who want faster load times it's just it's a good thing overall but the issue right now is that we're facing is that how if you already have an existing table that has a lot of data adding this in index might take five seconds 20 seconds 30 seconds maybe 60 seconds and because we're in this php environment we don't have long-running processes if you're on something like EMIR, you have your 15 second limit sometimes even or you know now it's a bit higher i know um
4: yeah, it's but now.
3: we're limited by time, and we can't just say, "Hey, run a process for thirty seconds or for two minutes to make everything faster." And these interesting constraints is like, how can we make WordPress faster for everybody? Cool, we have a solution, but we don't quite know how to roll this out. And maybe we need to talk to hosting companies. It's fascinating to to solve this at scale and being so constrained that just by resources or just be using PHP itself.
2: I was going to guess exactly that as the sticking point. And um, I will say we are working on, as part of the image regeneration uh, work, uh, having like long running background process API in WordPress so that you could run some process that exceeds the PHP limits and it would run it in sort of batches. Um, So it's possible that in the future we'll have a better way of doing this. I, I remember another ticket where we were trying to increase the size of the field that WordPress uses to store the password. Um, like WordPress passwords, the the field was like 24 characters, like literally the length of the database. <laughs> Maybe it's 50 characters, but we wanted to make it like 255 or some much larger lens. And the, the big challenge was we can't just change this database field because people have ju- a certain percentage of people, th- their upgrades will fail when we try to do this because their database is too large and PHP will time out and then... You know their, their upgrade will die, and we don't we don't have a solution for that really. Like we we have a really hard time changing the database schema, um, so that's like you know that's like a known issue, I guess. And and we we need to solve it by by having some sort of approach where there's a way to long you know to have something that's going to take minutes or maybe hours to complete.
3: Yeah, and maybe that is. Talking to hosting companies and getting WP CLI a bit more adopted, because often those processes have like you know you have fifteen minutes, thirty minute timeouts, or sometimes unlimited. Um, but then there would be a hosting provider implementation, or I'm a lot. Of, I'm sure a lot of them already supported. But even having a button in Bluehost that says like, okay, apply the indices indes- indexes um, f- for the whole site.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe put in a health check, like something in health check. Like if you can't run it, like for existing site, like you you put in a health check, and then that could be a a way to like alert uh, somebody because that's the point of health check, right?
3: Yeah, that's what we're doing at the moment.
4: It's to point out issues that you can resolve yourself or choose to resolve. So um, that always taught that was always an angle i thought could be used for for things like that where you're completely right um like just applying that like blindly to everyone you're going to you're going to hit these edge cases um that are just going to break so that's a way to keep it safe you know you make it default for the new databases and then add a warning or something
1: it would be nice though
4: but I agree for the long- running pasta processes we we need something like there's all these background jobs like uh, action scheduler and and things like that like it,
2: mm-hmm. there's all kinds of plugins yeah
4: yeah, I feel like that's something that that makes sense in core more and more like yeah, it would
1: be really nice to see something like action scheduler in core that makes that really easy to do um, that isn't you know proprietary or owned by anybody that is that belongs to core.
2: I'm not sure it'll help us with database updates now that I'm thinking about it, but I still think we need to have it. Um, And this is, it just sort of points out the challenges of of making changes in Core, like I was saying before it's, it's never easy because um, there's always use cases like that are outside the box. I remember when we, when I rewrote the revisions thing, um, you know, the revisions UI has this slider where you can see, like you can drag to go through all the different revisions of a post. And we spent a lot of time making sure all the tick marks matched up with the number of, uh, you know, revisions and that like the slider stopped in exactly well, all this complicated math and different browsers that do math differently. And then I remember right after we released the, and we tested it with like hundreds of revisions, you know, like, oh, this will work. This is great. And then I remember right after we released that, that version of WordPress, someone opened a ticket and it was like, basically the person was writing a novel in one post And they had like tens of thousands of revisions, you know, like they had literally thousands (laughs) and thousands of revisions. And they were like, the revision screen won't load for me. Like, you know, it's weird to say. And I was like, okay, like everything is possible in WordPress. Like someone will, someone will use it in a way that you just did not predict. And so when you change things, it's likely to break, you know, anytime you change behavior, um, unless it's an additive thing where you're adding some new thing. Um, but it's very difficult. It it makes it really challenging to, to move forward, uh, you know? So, but also fun, I guess, to try to change things and not break the internet.
1: Yeah. It's kind of interesting because if you look back, most of the changes that have happened in WordPress, they, they stem from somebody using somebody using WordPress in a way that we didn't expect. Right. And then core changes to support that use case and goes from blogging to more content management because that's the direction the industry was going you know and people were using wordpress in a way that wasn't exactly what was intended initially and i think that's really cool that as a platform we continue to grow and adapt to these new emerging use cases
3: where do you think it's gonna go i know this is slightly off topic But if we move from our blogger sphere to content management, and we've been kind of in that for the last decade, I'd say, maybe, I don't know. uh, What do you think is going to go next, Zach? VR?
1: I think the next step is full-scale applications. We've already seen people do it. But where we get more into supporting these very custom workflows, custom applications built on top of WordPress core, Um, you know, and you, you look at some of the companies that have done this and, and actually built crazy JavaScript, single page applications on top of WordPress, um, using WordPress as the API and really more of a data store than anything. Um, and I think that's, that's a use case we're going to see emerging more. Um, and then headless, I think is, is
3: a huge thing moving forward. So. I was thinking you're gonna say crypto, but okay.
4: I remember when Matt was like, I want WordPress to be the OS for the web. Like when the REST API came out, I think that was like you just uh you'd use the REST API and then WordPress would be your, your data layer, which is what it is with headless.
1: Yeah. I think that's the future, um as of right now. But yeah, we're going to see more growth in what WordPress core can do. And you know, now with Gutenberg, we've got this layer for building a modular front end, right? So what can happen from there? I'm not sure yet, but uh, I think we're just going to see growth in multiple directions. I think headless and uh, and single page applications built on top of WordPress are kind of the the future,
2: though.
3: Hey, Adam. So the WebP image yeah. format is kind of like in the works. It's been a couple of months. It's looking pretty good from the outside. Yeah. Uh, where do you think is kind of like the next area that you see over and over? Like, what would be another interesting area to explore at making WordPress? For performance? Yeah, for, or just... End user experience.
2: The other big one for me, for other than images, is is script loading. Um, you know, when you when you do like a lighthouse report on your web page and you see like, oh, what's slow? And often there's like a big image that's like the slowest thing. So the images sort of pop up as like, oh, we could make these smaller. But then when you start to dig into it, you realize that part of the reason the big image takes so long to load is there's all this JavaScript that's blocking that prevents it from even starting to load. You know, there's so there's there's the size of the image, but then there's also the JavaScript. And then there's also, like, what's the time to first byte? Like, how quickly is the server responding? Those all play a part in, in that calculation. But I do think the JavaScript is, is an issue for core. Right now, you can add the defer attribute to script tags, but not through our primary, um, like, WP and Q script API. So I want to for sure add that there. Um, and my thinking currently is to use like, similar to what Next.js did, where instead of like the there is a ticket open that's been open for a decade or whatever to add this. Um, but instead of allowing developers to control attributes directly, like, like literally control the, the attributes, which is sort of what you can do now, um, you can add attributes to the tag. Instead, we would give them like a, a strategy. So you would, you would say that the strategy that I want to use is defer, and then core would, would actually add the, the tag based on, for example, if, you had, if all the scripts that depended on you were also deferred. Because the, once you start deferring scripts, um, which to, just to be clear, like deferring means that you, when you add the defer tag, it allows the browser to execute the script later, and therefore it becomes non-blocking. Um, So this is a really great strategy. Right now in core, when when we enqueue scripts, we kind of have two options, header or footer. And generally header are things that we want to load immediately so that they load like before the page is loaded and footer are things that we don't care about. Um, Defer is a little more refined because it lets the browser essentially decide when it has the resources to to spend uh, loading that uh, JavaScript. Um, And in most cases, a lot of stuff can be deferred. Like a lot of even stuff that we're currently putting in the head could probably be deferred. Um, so I want to build that API in directly so that also not only is it directly part of our API but but the developers are faced with a choice like they have to come up with a strategy what is my strategy for this script? Um, and like another one that's really interesting as a strategy is this um, thing called I love the name Party town um, but it's a JavaScript library that takes uh, that takes your uh, third typically for third party JavaScript like like analytics for example and puts it in the worker. Uh, puts it in the, um, the worker part of the browser so that the, the script can run uh, without interfering with the main thread. So JavaScript is single-threaded. And when I'm saying like blocking, it's all this factor that basically the, the browser has to load the JavaScript and execute it before it can do the next thing. Um, and by, by putting JavaScript into the worker or by deferring it, we can allow the page to render more quickly the browser to like display the page to the user. And then the JavaScript can, can still load, but not in a blocking way. So that's the biggest one for me right now is like get figuring out how to land that um, and also use it in core for, there's a few scripts that we can actually use it for already in core that I know, like um, the commenting script is a good, good example. Um, I think the embed scripts, another one where, where it could easily just be deferred. Um, But that's another one where like we'll add the API that doesn't change much. We we still have to get developers to start to use this, this new API, Um, but putting it in into core and having an API direct API for it will, at least tell developers they need to think about it. So,
4: um, yeah, for sure, not leave it to the realm of the, the the optimization plugins, like the the speed plugins, to to do it.
2: Right, right, where they'll add it for you, and it's very difficult to automate too. Like there, there have been a lot of attempts, even by browser, the browser itself, to try to automatically defer scripts. Um, but because of the way, it's, like we can, you, for example, you can have a script that you in queue and then right below it you can have like an inline script that depends on something that was in that in queued script and if you defer the in queued script then the inline thing won't work. Um so it's something that developers need to it's it's hard to automate in in most cases. So developers need to like consciously make a choice and then make sure yeah, you can't just blindly put defer on everything. Uh yeah, or like everything that's in the footer should be deferred. Like that sounds great, um but it's it's not quite that simple. Um and especially when you, when you get into script dependencies, which we have, you know, we do have a system for that already in, in core. You have to consider that for deferred. That's why I want to add it as a strategy and not as something that like developers have to pick out because it can even depend, like if another script is in, in queued later and it depends on your script, right, that you've enqueued, like let's say you make a popular library and then you enqueue it, like if something else depends on it, then if it's not deferred, then you also can't defer. Um, so there's sort of these rules is kind of I mean, they're very clear rules you can follow as a as a platform um, to get to give the correct behavior. But but by giving developers like a strategy option, you sort of and it's also very future proof because then like if new strategies emerge or new approaches emerge, we can add them in there. Um, I've seen some stuff where people are adding like both async and defer to the same script tag, which is not a thing like async and defer are like one or the other. And, uh, in general, like async is, is not really recommended at this point. Um, but I think it's just hard, like as a developer to keep up with, like, what am I supposed to put here? Like, what is the best thing to put here? So I'd rather have it be something that core sort of helps developers with. Um, But I think that one could be huge if we get, you know, again, like landing in a core doesn't make it happen immediately. But if we can get the community to start thinking about it and get more and more scripts uh, deferred, I think that's like JavaScript in queuing in WordPress is a huge problem. Um, Some of it's just people in queuing jQuery to handle one click on a form, you know, (laughs) and they're they're queuing all of jQuery in the head. Um, But some of it is like more subtle stuff, just scripts that are, are too large or could be parts of them could be deferred. Um, So there's, there's like, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement there as well.
3: Maybe we need badges for themes as well, where anything that's in the repository, we do lighthouse automated testing or Blackfire, whatever it is. And you just get a performance score for your theme. And then people will find a way to like hack it and cheat it. But that was like part of the Tide project, right? Oh, I'm not familiar with that. What's that?
1: Yeah, definitely. That was plugins mainly, I believe, but. uh... Right.
2: And it was static analysis. It was it was static, like yeah, and I think it's still a thing, but I don't think they ever got any badging on the plugin directory. There's a lot of like controversy over that. And you know, if you don't have the right metric, it can penalize people or people will start to try to game the system by writing to the metric so they'll write their plugin so that it performs really well when you run the automated test. I mean, that's happening already.
4: I'm not gonna name any plugins, but there's definitely performance plugins that basically rewrite the entire HTML JS and everything just to game uh, the web performance index? Uh, one...
2: Even the image formats that that happens with, like the, you know, there's all these modern image formats like WebP, AVIF, JPEG, and a lot of them, they're still developing them, like particularly AVIF and JPEG, XL, and they're sort of all competing with each other to be like the best. Um, but the way that you test whether an image compression algorithm is good is using another algorithm that tests image quality. Um, and there's like half a dozen of these, like DdSim, and there's this, all these different tools that you use that will say, oh, is this image that I compressed how different is it from the original image? Um, but what happens is over time is the the actual compression algorithms, the tools, they're they're sort of writing to be better at the tests, at the automated <laughs> tests. So they're they're not like gaming the system, but they're writing to the test essentially. Um, which is different than how like actual people perceive the images. You know, it's well, um, it's like college
4: all over again. You write for the you 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 write you do the exam for the teacher, not for like actually learning anything.
2: Right, it is a little bit like that.
3: But you couldn't even test this. if you if you write an image format, you have to test it against something, and you have to test yeah. it against repeatable algorithm. You can't test it against human perception because ah,
2: well, you can. The human perception thing is you do like the Mechanical Turk where you hire a bunch of people and you sit them down with a bunch of images and you just have them sit there like comparing images and you can get us like a human score, which is different than what you get from an algorithm. The algorithms are all designed to like approximate human like perception. And there's whole scientific papers about them, but but there's different ones and different image formats will perform differently on different ones. Um, and, and certain image formats you know, it's like very technical, but like they don't do as well with certain types of color spaces or with darker images. And so, you know, they'll but um it's very interesting and, and um you know the the whole we're we're the beneficiaries of it because everyone's just trying to make the images smaller and smaller and ultimately we're we wind up with a format that looks great and is smaller than it was before. And to be clear, compression is like a really hard problem too. Like like
4: the, it's like PhD, you know, uh, almost, uh, post, I forget what it's called when you're done your PhD, but like, it's like, there's another level after that. And
2: post-doctorate,
4: post-doctorate. Yeah. postdoc It's like a postdoc level work, you know, in computer science compression. Like it's very, very hard work.
3: Yeah. I have a little story with this. Um, we've been tinkering with relay around and Z standard compression, which is a Facebook algorithm. Uh, I'm not sure what they actually use it for, but it's quite efficient at, I think, decompress. It decompresses faster than it compresses, but both, it's a stupid la- fast compared to Gzip or all the other old tar, these older formats, not tar, um, Gz, Bz, and so on. So Z standard, LZ4, LZF, they're all just quite fast at compressing and decompressing. And there's like, they're shifted towards, you know, one, one end of the spectrum. And what we saw is that with ZSTD, Z standard, you can actually create a dictionary. So what we started doing is we were, you know, toggle a little flag and now we watch all the data that goes through our php api everything that gets sent through and we run we build a dictionary of like hey this is what we think normal data looks like and after a couple of minutes we say save and we have a tiny little file that instructs and alters the algorithm to be as efficient as possible for this data that goes through this particular site which is like these tiny little micro optimizations but then we saw it's like we get like 40 percent performance out of this for an individual site which is you know, it sounds kind of, it sounds negligible, but if you have a million requests a minute or an hour, it doesn't really matter. All of this is like suddenly 40% more efficient as one part. It's quite, I find it fascinating. Like to use the algorithms, I am clueless with it, but just being able to like customize the data compression algorithm for this one site's data structures. And, you know, the if they type Hindi, you said, or if they type German into the text field or English, all of these would, handle it differently it's 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 algorithms are interesting that's so interesting yeah
2: yeah I've, i've never heard of that before that so it's essentially it's building like custom tokens based on your your particular data set to do the compression
3: yeah yeah. I'm not super familiar with it. We just test it, and we see that we see really good performance results. And we're running into the same issue. Like now, we do have to run a long-running process, or can we avoid this? Can we just we ha- we solve this at the PHP extension level, which is fairly easy? But just for me, like, oh, should I like? How do I get a snapshot of the data? And then again, doing all of this at scale, and that it works for every single site without crashing it, and making sure that the dictionaries are loaded efficiently. It's um I, I'm a bit of a. I like the pain of make, trying to make things faster. <laughs> when you talk about your JavaScript optimizations for cool, I'm, like, I'm so sorry already. The the pain that you will go through <laughs> of trying to make this work for everybody, including the lady who writes a novel in in a WordPress post. Yeah, I think there's a lot more performance stuff on the table for us for just people who have a bit of a sadistic side and, and like that to maybe like Johnny too, who is like trying to reduce the core queries and just digging into these messy old parts of core to make them faster. I think there's a lot more on the table for us to improve without having to add new things and building new features, it's more, how can we, you know, get another 20, 30% here and there and reducing it because all of this is good. It's less resources being used. You can either serve more traffic, have smaller servers, less electricity. It's a it's a win-win. And then the fast end result. Yeah. I'm all for it. It's my kink. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Can't say I have that one. I'm, I'm just trying to make it run on. I have my own set of like masochistic, ways of like trying to like get WordPress to run on stuff that it wasn't designed to run on. So that's my problem, <laughs> but.
2: You have it running on your refrigerator?
4: No, I just had it running on Lambda, like on, on oh, cloud right. functions. So, uh, so that's interesting problem too. But me and Till discovered a lot of scaling issues. Like there's just a lot, I mean, it's a legacy application, right? You talked about how like, it's hard to make changes, but that's like the, that's, that's kind of like the classic legacy application. You know, it's 20 year it's 20 years old. It's, making changes is not something you can just like blatantly do. You have to be a bit more um, targeted, you know, like um, a bit like a scalpel, like a surgeon. Surgical. That's what I was trying to say.
3: Yeah, the issues that I see Carl run into is the same thing where WordPress Core has been doing things a certain way. You can just write to the WP content directory, for example, and then you have a theme generating their own CSS to game the the light speed or the page test web page test results. But if you're on server s- serverless or any kind of ephemeral so, um, file system like Heroku, Platform Age, they all just you can't really write to disk. And if you do, it's just discarded after a couple of minutes, or sometimes you can't even do it. And just having to change the path of, like, where themes right to. There's so much legacy force behind, like, you have one server, PHP and WordPress is installed of it, and trying to make this work in any kind of other more modern environment. It's, it's a little bit of a pain or a lot.
4: It's definitely something. It's definitely something. It's uh, definitely, there's been times where I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Clearly, I don't, like you're fighting a bit against the grain, you know, but, um, but it, I think, I think it's important. Like it highlights problems. Like I said, like there's only so much you can do with one server eventually, you know, even if you're paying them $24,000 a month, like Zach said, like, it's just, you know, Google doesn't run on one server, you know, like Shopify doesn't run on one server. It's, it's like WordPress should be able to run on multiple server. And it, I know it does, but it it's very obvious if you spend any sort of time on it, that it, there's very big structural issues, uh, architectural issues to, to doing that and just whittling away at it. Like true performance is a good way to do it and it benefits the entire community.
1: Yeah. There are other areas though, where you can very efficiently run WordPress across a cluster of, Web heads, but the problem is clustering the data layer.
2: That's what I was going to ask about. It seems like when you were talking about the writing, like the MySQL is still like the big limitation, especially if you're writing or object caching. Reading
4: is easier, right? Even with Till, I run, I ran into a problem. Is if WordPress kind of works only if like the object cache is like local, because the minute it's not local, you add like basically one or two milliseconds. To your Redis query, which sounds trivial. The problem is that because WordPress, like this, goes back to the initial discussion where we were talking about like developers not necessarily be super efficient. They're making, like, I ran into a site making two thousand object cache queries in one request per page load per page load. So <laughs> at one two ms per per Redis request, you're still adding two seconds, which is it's insane. Yeah,
3: and would be. Yeah, it sounds like you need you need to keep that data locally in PHP memory. If only there was a product for that, or any kind of solution.
4: Yeah, if there's only a product that did that, if there was only a PHP extension that was developed to to do that.
1: Well, and so clustering, you know, web heads easy load balancing across web heads. We've done this for years now. This is not a a difficult solution. Now, in recent years, we've had uh, new options on the database front, uh, particularly MariaDB and MariaDB's Galera clusters. That eliminates one of the issues that I've had in the past with trying to cluster the database side of WordPress, which is, you know, basically data collisions, read and write collisions where, you know, let's say you're on a WooCommerce site and the customer checks out and then in mid-checkout you change what database server they're connected to and suddenly their order doesn't exist anymore. So they get to the confirmation page and they get a, we're sorry, this order doesn't exist error. (laughs) Right? So a Galera cluster um, isn't a master-slave type environment. It isn't a uh, a read replica type environment. It is a an environment where once one server gets that data as new data, all of them lock until the transaction completes across the cluster. And that eliminates that problem completely. So you're able to cluster the database, have a lot more transactions happening because you have more hardware right but you're still running into eventually you're going to hit that limit of how much bare metal i can throw at this so there are solutions that are starting to help make this easier but it's still not perfect and so as we as we really dig in and we focus more and more on performance and on uh making WordPress core more performant, making WooCommerce more performant with, you know, some of these things like custom tables as, as that develops, you know, who knows how long it's going to be until we see that. And who lo- who knows how long it's going to be really before that's the default rather than an opt-in. Right. But as we start to see these things, we'll start to see more performant WordPress sites And I really appreciate the work that the performance team is doing to try and push the platform forward as a whole. So we're at a point where we we need to start to wrap up here, but uh, I I want to ask Adam, where can people find you? Where can people find the performance team?
2: Yeah. So uh, performance team, we have our own blog now on the make poor uh, WordPress blog. Uh, We have our weekly meeting in the performance. I think it's, performance channel in slack um i'm on twitter at round earth r-o-u-n-d-e-a-r-t-h um my dms are open so uh yeah i think i think and also we we generally post like the performance team generally posts uh, um minutes of our meetings to the main wordpress core blog so you can follow follow along there
3: sorry, why is your username round earth? Are you a recovering (laughs) flat earther or space is fake or (laughs) how did that come to be?
2: Um, it's the name of my farm. So my other, my other job is a farmer, um, when I'm not a web developer, uh, so it's the name of the farm and the name, yeah, it is a little bit of a play on the flat earth thing. Um, of course the earth isn't really round. It's spherical, right? (laughs) It's it's round is actually not the right dimensions, but, um, yeah, my farm used to be called Earthbound, which was the, also the name of my like web consulting business.
4: Also a great RPG for Super Nintendo. Yeah, America. I know.
2: <laughs> uh, I get a lot of traffic from that actually. Um, but <laughs> there, there's also a big farm out in California called Round Earth and they really wanted us to change our name, so we agreed to do that. Uh, their Round Earth farm. I still have roundearth.com, but we you know they were they were Earthbound, so I was Earthbound. I had to change it. And the Round Earth was what we came up with. Seemed okay, like a good cool. handle at the time. Obviously, I guess my name wasn't available when I signed up for Twitter.
4: Erdbound?
2: No, Adam. Adam Silverstein. Oh, Adam. okay, okay. I
4: thought I mean Erdbound seemed also like an unlikely thing to be available when
2: uh... probably <laughs> unlikely, but I have Earthbound.com, so there you go.
4: My goodness. That I that is actually worth a, probably a decent amount of change, because Erdbound is is Oh I can imagine. Earthbound's a really few if you're not an old geezer like us, but if you play, you know, it's a very, it's a very well-known RPG for Super Nintendo and it's got a huge following.
0: Yeah. You
2: no, know, I get traffic from that, especially anytime they have like a new release or something about it. Like people will come to my website looking for it. I can see like the searches that people wind up on my site, you know, um, although less so these days, because I haven't like put anything new on the site in like years. So it's probably like deprecated on Google search at this point. Um, yeah. There's also like a clothing company called EarthBound. So I get those too. It's funny when you have a name like that and suddenly your website, you get, I get, I used to get phone calls from people who were trying to like return their clothes to the. the
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Thanks so much for coming on Adam.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, it was really fun.
0: Hey everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. I'd like to give one more shout out to our two pod friends. PeachPay. A slick and simplified express checkout that is fully customizable with an easy way to upsell or add customer incentives to the checkout at peachpay.app. And to ensure both you or your clients' products stand out and compete in the search results, Yoast SEO has you covered at Yoast.com. Keep updated on Do The Woo at dothewoo.io/slash subscribe. Find us at WordCamp US if you are attending and say hi. But until the next time, you keep on doing the woo.